And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 133 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today on March 10th, 2019, at 11.06 a.m., I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, listeners. Dan Bayer. Good morning, NBP. Cody Derricks. Good morning. And Deanne Knighton. Hello. All right, team. Hello, hello. How is everybody doing? Pretty well. Yeah. I'm doing fantastic. I had such a good week, and I'm just, you know, on still on a high from last week. So let's do this. Yeah. So let's talk about actually the past week. Let's uh, actually open up by asking everybody what they saw this week in the cinemas or at home. So actually, I want to first kick it off to Deanne. Deanne, what did you catch up on this week? Well, it's a little bit of a quiet week for me, but I did see Captain Marvel, which we reviewed on the pod. Um, so you can hear our thoughts there. I won't go into it too much, but I did like it. I um, finally figured out where it fit in my Marvel rankings, and it actually comes in at number six, which is pretty good. So, wow, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, I spoke about it yesterday, but ultimately there are good things and bad things about the film, but, you know, the overall themes I thought were really powerful, and the more that I've, you know, kind of ruminated on them, the higher it's gotten for me. So I definitely suggest that. And then the other thing I just want to mention is Kate Blanchett on Documentary Now. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I've watched that episode like three times. I don't. It, it is that show is so smart and so funny. It's so brilliant, isn't it? And oh my god, yes. And um, obviously, I think it fits really well for movie lovers. Um, and mm-hmm. so, if you are not watching the new season of Documentary Now, please start. There's been some great. Um, you know, talent being showcased there. And this last episode with Kate Blanchett is outstanding. And God, if you haven't watched documentary now, watch, I mean, you can watch the episodes in any order. Totally. They're not like, it's not a plot thing. So like, but it, it's so much fun. It uh, is. Gray gardens or co-op that they've been terrific. Oh God. Yeah. The gray gardens episode is so good. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really fun because you, like, for me, when I watched the first season, I actually went back and watched some things I hadn't watched, like The Kid Stays in the Picture, and then I watched the episode of Documentary Now, Um, and then, what was the other one? Um, Oh, The Salesman I had never seen, so then I went, you know, and so it's kind of a fun experience, too, if you want to kind of catch up on some of, you know, those older documentaries that have done well. Very cool. Awesome. Michael, what about you? I only saw one movie this week, but boy, was it a good one. I went to the IMAX theater to see Apollo 11. Oh, yes. And let me tell you, this movie, you know, the footage in space is nothing short of amazing. But that wasn't even my favorite part. My favorite part of this movie was seeing the footage of all the crowds gathered at the Cape Canaveral to watch the liftoff. Like everyone's there early in the morning, getting their Krispy Kreme and their coffee and just sitting around. And this footage is so crisp, so 
you know, it's absolutely amazing how it looks. It looks like it was shot yesterday if it weren't for the period clothing. Like, I could not believe the clarity of this picture that was 50 years old. The restoration that they did on this, it, it was funny. I was, like, joking about it. I'm like, what is this, 4K, 6K, 18K, 90K? Like, what is this? Never, <laughs> seen, never before have I ever seen footage from that era look so crisp. It's it's truly stunning. It was absolutely astonishing. Mm. And then they had a shot of, like, it was like a some sort of ship in the middle of the water and just the sunset or sunrise, one of them. The sun was doing something behind it. And it just looked... It was jaw-dropping. It really, really was in the 70-millimeter IMAX. I went on a Tuesday, and it was packed. It was nearly a sellout. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So this is going into wider release. I think it just expanded this past weekend. So IMAX or not, just go see this movie. It's the best thing I've seen so far this year. Yeah, it's a, a truly stunning documentary, something that really, really from a technical standpoint, wowed me at Sundance. And I'm a little surprised they opened it up this early in the year. Yeah, yeah. hopefully it does another IMAX run because it was a short, it was short lived and I went to see it Friday and then realized that Captain Marvel had kicked it out of all the yeah. IMAX. So hopefully there'll be another run. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I saw that in IMAX and I saw Free Solo in IMAX back in January. And then one of the previews they played before Apollo 11 on the IMAX screen. I don't know if this is getting an IMAX release or not. But they played the trailer for Amazing Grace on the IMAX screen with that IMAX sound. And oh my wow. God, that's going to need like some sort of special release. Just hearing that, watching the audience respond to that trailer, I cannot wait to see that one. That's the one on um, Aretha, Flank, uh, yeah. Aretha, Aretha Franklin, Franklin, right? Yeah. yeah. Directed by Sidney Pollack. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's amazing uh, how much notoriety documentaries have gained these days that they can have so much hype and excitement attributed to them just as much as the other weekly releases from the major studios, you know, the narrative feature films. I love in the last couple of years that this has become something that it should have always been for documentary uh, filmmaking. But, you know, with the rise of Netflix and um, I, I do have to give credit to things like Movie Pass and uh, other things that have helped to drive audiences to the movie theaters a little bit more to seek these films out. It's really, really great to see that people are genuinely excited for these kinds of movies. And then you have something like They Shall Not Grow Old, which is sitting at 17 million right now, which is amazing. Yeah. Mm. You know, there have been so many great docs. That's another one. If you haven't seen They Shall Not Grow Old, if it's still playing near you, go to a theater. But if not, just wait for the Blu-ray or for it to go on streaming because that was an extraordinary one as well. Uh, Dan, what about you? I saw one of my most anticipated films of this year, uh, Gaspar Noé's Climax. Oh, my. (laughs) I am still reeling from it two days later. I, I mean, the movie is designed to be a bad acid trip. I mean, because that's what it's about, essentially. But wow, <laughs> um, I I think it's interesting because I think Noah has finally reached the point of uh, self plagiarism. There are whole long sections of this movie that are like ripped directly from Irreversible and Enter the Void, but. God, no one is making movies like this. And it's just, even in its depressing, antagonistic ways, it's exhilarating for so much of it. I mean, he shoots 
dance like no one has shot it before. And that alone is an achievement. And honestly, the dance sequences in this are just like mind blowing. I mean, besides the way he shoots it, just the talent on display from these from these actors and performers is just amazing. Um, and the whole like the whole experience of it, as as with all of his films, it demands to be seen in a theater so that you can fully experience the cinematography and the the sound design it's is really spectacular really spectacularly done now i just want to be very very clear about this uh because i saw this film too a couple of weeks ago dan Mm -hmm. this is not a pleasant viewing experience (laughs) as all Gaspar Noe movies are it is definitely not a film for everyone i mean i shouldn't go and buy my ticket right now no god no (laughs) no not at all (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if it is definitely one of those movies like you know what you're in for going in and it meets all those expectations for better and worse um it's fantastic but yeah I, it's not a film that i can exactly recommend to people <laughs> unless i know that they that they're into you know that they've seen noah's other work and that they like it more than they don't i will admit I liked it. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, if you can separate, you know, your feelings on what is happening in the movie from how well the movie is made, there's a lot to like here. Yeah, really. and that's how I felt too about it. I, you know, content-wise, it's something that I don't ever want to experience again. <laughs> but at the same time, I felt like what I did experience was unique, and certainly. You know, as somebody who doesn't want to necessarily go on a bad acid trip, <laughs> if this is the closest I can come without actually experiencing that, that's okay with me. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. Uh, Cody, what about you? So I took a little mini break from seeing uh, 2018, 2019 movies in theaters just after, you know, doing nothing but doing seeing that for the Oscar season for like three months straight. Uh, so I watched a lot of older movies at home, which I haven't done in a while. I saw Sleuth for the first time, the original, and that's pretty good. Oh, yes. Twisty turning, and I felt like so smart because I figured out the twist. Um, I saw Sleepaway Camp from the 80s for the first time. Yes! Um, we're covering it on my horror movie podcast. Oh, I love that oh, movie. For that some reason, since we started so the podcast crazy. like a year ago, it has been our number one fan requested movie for a long time. Oh my God. So There's like finally- the grossest pedophile in that movie. Oh, there's that. The ending is literally <laughs> the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Insane. Definitely check it out and then let's it on it. Um, but I did see Captain Marvel in theaters, and uh, my thoughts on that are on the podcast we recorded yesterday. So, yeah, that was my week. Nice. Uh, so I saw Captain Marvel as well. Thoughts on the podcast, as we said. Um, I saw The Hummingbird Project with Jesse Eisenberg, Alexander Skarsgård, Salma Hayek. And that was interesting. I didn't really love it. And I've got some problems with it, but I tell you, it was interesting at least. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg is perfectly well cast in that movie, while Alexander Skarsgård is playing against type. And it's, once again, interesting to see. But I wouldn't rush out immediately to check it out. Uh, We do have an interview with the writer-director, Kim uh, Nguyen, for that up on the podcast as well. And like I said, because in this current time where... 
uh, you know, big releases are kind of spread out. If you're looking for something to check out, yeah, that's something, I suppose. And then I also saw something that I was really enthusiastic about, and that was Gloria Bell, uh, the A24 film from Sebastian Lalo, who uh, directed previously um, Disobedience last year and uh, Fantastic Woman, which won the Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, this is a remake of his own film, this time around starring Julianne Moore and John Turturro. And I really, 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 really enjoyed Julianne Moore's performance in this movie. I would say as we get closer to the end of Q1 of 2019, she is by far my best actress winner, I would say. And I really, really enjoyed this character. I wanted to spend more time with her. I want to see more movies about her. And I would just say for those that are looking for maybe something that's, uh, you know, your middle-aged adult drama that, you know, has a few comedic moments, but it's definitely first and foremost a drama of somebody going through, I don't even know if it's so much a midlife crisis as, as it is like that somewhere in between midlife and end of life crisis, like that like that nice sweet spot, like, you know, in, in like your mid fifties, you know, uh, but she's going through post-divorce life and yeah, I, I, I really, really, really enjoyed this one. I, I can't emphasize it enough. All right, it's a shame that there's no one on the podcast who responds to that type of movie. What a shame. Mm. I wonder who that could be. <laughs> uh, I'm seeing Gloria Bell later today, and I'm really excited. I've been excited ever since it was announced because the original Gloria I really enjoyed, but or I really appreciated, but I didn't very much enjoy it. Um, I thought it was a little too insular and quiet for its own good and this just looks like it really amps up the comedy compared to that one and Julie Moore is just so fantastic it's funny you say that Dan because it does and it doesn't I can actually see an argument as to why this would be insular if somebody were to use that term to describe it I, I, I could understand that so it might actually have the same faults that you have with the original but I can't say that for sure because I've never seen the original. Oh, no. Really? Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, for me was fine because I was able to just judge this one as it it's was. It's script, apparently. Yeah. Uh, do, you think she could get placed, do you think she could get placed in Comedy of the Globes for an easy nomination? No, I don't. And I only say that because... I don't know. I just have this. I, I always have this tendency within these first three months of the year to write off literally everything with the exception of the one big February release film that's, you know, <laughs> your Get Out or your Black Panther. And that's actually going to lead into the segue of, I think it could be Jordan Peele's film Us, which premiered at South by Southwest this weekend. Um, so Josh Williams and Beatrice Loiza are currently at South by Southwest at the moment uh, watching that. And uh, I think they just saw the beach bum from Harmony Corinne, long shot with Seth Rogen and Charlie Steron. There's a lot of really interesting, great movies playing at South by Southwest. And it's really, really grown in prominence over these last couple of years as the festival's titles have begun to grow and they've acquired a lot more mainstream films, kind of films that you find maybe in the midnight section at Sundance, but have a little bit more of a mainstream feel to them. You all remember last year, A Quiet Place, uh, debuted at South by Southwest along with Isle of Dogs. So 
the, the, the festival has definitely gained a lot of notoriety. And I'll tell you, the, the platform to release the world premiere of Us, Jordan Peele's follow-up film to get out, uh, could not have been more perfect, in my opinion. Uh, from what we have gathered uh, from the reactions, they were just through the roof enthusiastic. Well, I think that was in the moment and in the room at South By. But when you read some of these reviews from the trades, they're all very good. Yeah. But they seem to be more like, yeah, okay, this is a nice follow-up. It's like a three-star movie. Or as we would say at MVP, like a seven out of ten. Well, I've always been very skeptical that Jordan Peele was going to replicate his award season success of Get Out with Us. I, I, I always knew that Us was going to make more money and be more popular because of, uh, you know, what Get Out was and how it's really introduced the world to Jordan Peele as a new visionary voice within filmmaking. So I always knew that was there, but I, I, you know, early platform release, leaning more into the genre elements of horror this time around, I am even more skeptical that lightning will strike twice from an award standpoint for Jordan Peele uh, than really than even I was with Get Out. It's sort of oh, yeah. I... a quiet place where it's going to do amazing box office, have really strong reviews. There might be talk of it getting in at something like PGA later in the year if it sustains. But for the most part, this just seems like it's going to be a well-regarded film that we just talk about later in the year, but not necessarily mm-hmm. in the awards context. I had similar feelings to like um, Unbreakable, perhaps, because I'm sure the expectations coming off of M. Night Shyamalan's Oscar success with the Sixth Sense were kind of similar. Yeah. Um, And as we all know, that did not do as well as the Oscars, but it's still a well-regarded movie. I mean, I don't want to write off us too early, and I'm sure I'm going to love it. (laughs) It looks right up my alley. Oh, same here. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I've I've already read a lot of people say that Lupita Nyong'o gives a better horror movie performance than Tony Collette did in Hereditary last year, and my mind has completely melted. I can't... Well, I, I can't comprehend how that's possible. <laughs> so I really want to check it out and see for sure. But I've seen more than a few tweets from people at South by Southwest who have said that. I saw someone write, uh, like, Jordan Peele just overtook Hitchcock. I'm like, what the heck? What the heck is that about? Yeah. I can see new Hitchcock for this generation, but, like, yeah, yeah. let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I keep getting so bugged by all these just instant... The thing you have to do is compare it to something else, and I'm guilty of this, too. But most of the reactions I saw coming out of us were, oh, he's the new Spielberg, he's the new Hitchcock, better than Hereditary, Lupita Nyong'o is better in this than 12 Years of Sleep. Like, just let it exist in its How own context. I know you need to give Jordan it some Peele. context so people who haven't seen it can recognize something about it, but it just kind of bugs me. Yeah, and there's festival bias there. There has to be. They're all oh, pumped up. They just got to Austin, Texas. It's the first movie. It was uh, apparently the hottest ticket to get. You had to line up, I believe, something like five hours before the movie started. Yeah. So they turned away, I think, more people than they let in, is from what I what I understand. It's crazy. So, yeah, I, and uh, like I was saying before, other major titles are playing at the festival this week. And we're much, much looking forward to hearing about a couple of them. I know I'm very curious about Pet Cemetery, the remake starring Jason Clark uh, and John Lithgow. I'm interested in hearing about Stuber, which is Camille Nagiani's uh, film that is following up uh, The Big Sick. So, you know, his stardom has definitely rise since that film. And I'm very curious to see how he follows that up. Uh, he's playing alongside Dave Bautista in that movie that, you know, where he plays a... 
I guess he's playing like he's playing an Uber driver, and Dave Batista is like some sort of a criminal or something like that. I, I don't really know. There's no trailer for this one yet, Didn't but he I also suspect play an Uber driver in the big sick. Yeah, I think that I, yeah. I wonder if that's where the concept of the movie just came from. Like, oh, you're an Uber driver, and you know, you pick up some bad guy, and comedy ensues. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the comedy version of Collateral. That's what I was just thinking. I was going to say the same thing. I was like, I've heard that plot summary before. <laughs> My God, I love Collateral. I do too. So good. Oh, by the way, speaking of John Lithgow, you mentioned that he's in Pet Cemetery. He has a very big year coming up. Apparently, he's in Late Night, which I didn't realize, and then he's in Fair and Balance later this year. So maybe we'll see more of him later on, with an awards context. Oh, I think we definitely will, especially maybe within, um, you know, things like SAG Ensemble, maybe. Uh, but it's very interesting that you bring up Late Night because Late Night's actually one of the trailers that we're discussing here on the podcast today. Uh, that trailer dropped this week. It's being released by Amazon Studios in theaters on June 7th, starring Mindy Kalig and Emma Thompson. I had the privilege of seeing it at Sundance early this year, but this was for you guys your first exposure to the film. So let's hear your thoughts on the trailer for Late Night. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly because you tread on my dreams. What? I'm in a single-income household, and Jen and I just had our second baby. I think it's time for a raise. I can't give you a raise, Gabe. It's like giving a raise to a drug addict. My child's like a drug problem. You're fired. You're fired, obviously. Oh, you must be McCreary. Oh, wow. You're fired. She's coming back. She's coming back. She's coming back. Push me. Who are you? I'm Molly. I'm a new writer. You want to sit down? Okay. That's where metal sits. Could you sit down, please? Oh, I'll just use uh, this trash can. There's, you know, there's hardly any trash in it at all. Oh, it's kind of comfortable, better than a chair. That's our show, everyone. I came to tell you this year is your last. What? They can't replace you if everyone loves you. Do none of you understand what is at stake here? I am being replaced. Think about why the show is bad and come up with ways to fix it. I wish I was a woman of color so I could just get me a job I want. We talked about this, you can't say that. I know what everyone thinks of me, but just because I was lucky enough to get this job doesn't mean I'm stupid enough to lose it. What exactly is wrong with my bits? You're a little old and a little white. What can I do about that? I have some jokes for the monologue. I shouldn't do this in an English accent, should I? No. Watch me! This is your show. It's an expression of who you are. How would you describe Molly? She said I was a vibrant splash of color <laughs> on the gray canvas of our writing staff. I mean, I need you, Molly. I need your pushiness and lack of boundaries. You love me. No, I didn't say that. I, no. I mean, not in those words, but you. No, I didn't say it in any of those words. Oh, this looks so great. This looks absolutely terrific. I can't wait for this one. This looks like a joy. I was weirdly disappointed in the trailer. I was too, Dan. <laughs> okay, good. I, 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 To me, I mean, when I hear that something is coming from the pen of Mindy Kaling, starring Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson, I was expecting more laugh out loud funny. And... Huh? I was laughing, was so... <laughs> the comedy... Like, no, I laughed, but it was not... Like, it it wasn't quite as funny as I would have expected a trailer from this team to be. Well, you know, bet- between you and me, 
and I guess all of our listeners here right now, um, <laughs> when I saw the film at Sundance, it's it's definitely a laugh a minute movie where the laughs just nonstop throughout. They never let up, and the audience never has a chance to catch their breath or anything. They're just constantly laughing. And I think that shows in Mindy Kaling's script. But for some reason, the way that Amazon Studios decided to cut this trailer together, those jokes weren't landing as well for me watching it in this trailer as it was when I saw the movie in the theater. Well, you got to figure with comedies, they have to market it to the dumbest, low and co- lowest common denominator. And I, I, I'm thinking of... Like, I remember seeing the trailer for Bridesmaids way back in the day and being like, that looks stupid. And then it turns into not just one of my favorite comedies, but one of my favorite movies of all time. So I don't really trust comedy trailers, even though I did enjoy this one. Yeah, no, like, I have to say it did not diminish my excitement for this movie at all. I was just I was just disappointed in the trailer itself. Yeah, I was there with you too, but with Mindy Kaling involved, I'm just hoping it has some of the pathos that she brings to her comedy that I think makes it really special. Yeah. Matt, you don't have to tell us if that's true or not, but hopefully so. My review is up on the website for those that are really curious. <laughs> I am uh, very excited to see the reunion of Kelly Kapoor and Holly Flax. We saw a little Amy Ryan in this trailer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Reunion. I'm really curious to see if this film performs like The Big Sick did. Amazon Studios is taking a very similar uh, approach with it, like they did The Big Sick, where Sundance breakout hit. It's pretty clear at the festival that this is going to be a box office success type of film. It appeals very much to the mainstream, and they decide to give it a June release, right. which is is exactly what the big sick had. And it's going to be a wide release uh, at first. They're not going to platform it, apparently. Right. So, uh, you know, it's very, very interesting to me that they're taking the exact same approach. Question is if they will be able to sustain that momentum for a Mindy Kaling nomination in Best Original Screenplay. This seems like a globe play to me. I think you're right. Yeah. I just, the, the problem, the thing that's going to come up a lot is. Mindy Kaling or Emma Thompson in comedy actress at the Golden Globes. And it's going to be very interesting because I know there's going to be talk of category fraud. It's definitely going to come up. I, I'm telling you all right now, they are both co-leads. And I wonder which one of those two is going to get that slot. That's the I thing I'm the trying to figure out. The trailer. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe they'll the big short it and shove them both in lead at the Globes and let the Oscars do their own thing. God, it still kills me that the big sick did not get like any Golden Globes love at all. That was the yeah, craziest. Was I mean, I was predicting it for like three or four. <laughs> uh, okay, so now moving on from that, uh, let's kick it over to uh, some of the ch- uh, to the polls actually for this week. Let's talk about what's going on over there at nextbestpicture.com. So last week's poll for the release of Captain Marvel, we asked everyone. Who is their favorite female character in the MCU? We received a lot of replies on this one. Lots of characters to choose from. Deanne, let me just start off with you. Who is your favorite character, a female character in the MCU? So uh, for me, it's Valkyrie. I shared that last week. Um, I, you know, I actually did an article for the podcast about, you know, the top performances to date, not just Marvel, but all comic book to screen um, female characters. And I actually ended up 
slotting in Black Widow over Valkyrie only because of just the body of work. And even though I feel like that character has been inconsistent, she is, you know, the most predominant and, um, you know, has had the most to do in that universe. And so it's kind of right between those two. But, you know, for me, just in terms of like complete enjoyment level, I would have to say Valkyrie from Thor Ragnarok. Cody? I voted for Denai Guerrero's character from Black Panther. I thought she was extraordinary in the movie. She actually even made my probably top 10 of supporting actresses of the year. I just loved her character. I loved her unwavering patriotism is the wrong word maybe, but you know what I mean, to Wakanda. And it really gave gives helps give Wakanda the sense of gravitas and reality as a place. And that's all thanks to both her performance and the writing of the character. Den Bear. My favorite is actually uh, Peggy Carter, but that I will fully admit that that's mostly because of the TV show Agent Carter, which for my money is the best thing Marvel has ever done. Um, if I'm going strictly by their appearances in the MCU, I'd probably have to go with Deanne and say Valkyrie because she's amazing. Okay, Michael? Okoye, everything Cody said. All right, let's see what went out the poll here. So leading the poll with 64 votes is Valkyrie from Thor Ragnarok. What? And then in second place with 51 votes, we have Gamora hmm. from Guardians of the Galaxy and from Avengers Infinity War. Nice. Little sympathy vote there, maybe. No, yeah, poor thing. Little one. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> And then uh, falling behind Gamora with 49 votes. Wow. Wow. No way. One, two, three. We have a three-way tie for third place. 49 votes each between wow. all three of these ladies. Wow. Uh, with Okoye from Black Panther, Peggy Carter from Captain America, the first what? Avenger, and Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. Wow. Damn, that's crazy. Get a three-way tie for third place like that? Awesome. That's pretty wild. And then following behind that in fourth place, we have Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. Scarlet Witch, with 33 votes. And to round things off in fifth place with 32 votes, Hella from Thor Ragnarok, played by Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm happy for both Kate Blanchett and Tessa Thompson because I love those characters. Yeah. I just cannot stand that movie. I really hated <laughs> Thor. Really? It's my least favorite of the Thor movies. My favorite is oh the Dark God. World. Controversial. I thought Ragnarok was such a... I don't even know. Do you like Taika like, Waititi? Do you like like what I we do in the shadows? I don't think I do. I haven't seen oh, what we like okay. in the shadows. I didn't like Hunt for the Wilder People, and I did not like Thor Ragnarok. Okay, <laughs> which makes me feel sad because I want to like him, but I did not. You have no heart. It didn't make me laugh once. I'm 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 weird when it comes to comedies. Not much makes me laugh. My boyfriend likes to say I hate comedies, but it I didn't love it. <laughs> you have no soul, Cody. Did that true. movie have a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes or something? Probably. Because I would have ruined that. Yeah, I was going to say, Cody, Cody would have <laughs> Cody would have been the Armand White of Hunt for the Wilder People. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. That's too rich. Uh, love it. Okay, so 
moving on from that for this week's poll for the release of Captive State, starring John Goodman, uh, directed by Rupert Wyatt, who uh, people might remember who directed Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I, I, from what I understand, it's about an alien invasion, an occupation of Earth, and it takes place a couple of years after that. And I guess we're dropped in in the middle of what life is like between the human race and, you know, being occupied by an alien, you know, race. So, okay. I mean, it, you know, hey, listen, it's March. <laughs> we need we need something to get us ready for us uh, in two weeks, right? So we're asking everybody for this week, your favorite alien invasion film lots of options to choose from here um our poll took more of a modern approach with some of the choices obviously there'll be a write-in though if your favorite alien invasion film is something uh that skews a little bit you know older but the options that we have listed on the poll are 10 cloverfield lane also starring john goodman annihilation arrival the avengers district nine edge of tomorrow independence day Men in Black, Transformers, War of the Worlds, and The World's End. Well, I don't know if this counts as an invasion movie, but it is an alien movie, so I'm just going to go with it. Uh, it's definitely not an invasion. It's more about how people respond to aliens coming, and that's, of course, uh, closing calendars. You know, it's funny. As soon as you said that, I thought you were going to say E.T. for a second. <laughs> uh, and that's, yeah, I could go with either one, but I think when you're just talking about the response to how people deal with this uh, – Close Encounters is the one that takes it for me, even though I like E.T. more as a movie overall. Well, Alien Invasion implies a level of malice, which I don't think yeah. you know, I movies have. Think of, like, one that, from that list that really stands out. I just hear Alien and go to one of the Spielbergs. Which we're going to talk about that guy in just a second here. But before we do, I want to go around and just complete here. Dan Bayer, what's your favorite Alien Invasion film? Um, God... It's really tough for me to choose between the two that sort of defined my growing up, uh, Men in Black and Independence Day. Um, I guess today I'm feeling more comedic, so I'll say Men in Black. Okay. Cody? You know, I'm looking at this list and I'm like, do I hate alien invasion movies? I don't like most of these movies. (laughs) Sorry. I don't mean to be a grump on this podcast. I hate comedies. I hate alien invasion movies. Okay. He's the Debbie Downer today. Oh, gosh, um, Cody. <laughs> I got three hours of sleep. Let me do this. Um, I'm, I really like Men in Black also, but, I mean, Annihilation was great. I might have to give it a vote, even though it's less than a year old. And Deanne? This is so easy for me. It was my number two movie of that year, Arrival. Yep, I'm with you there, Deanne. Oh, I like Arrival. <laughs> it's a fantastic movie. Sorry. I, I got to pick Arrival as well. I really, 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 really love that movie i love what it says about uh communication that's probably my favorite aspect of that film and just not just how we communicate with the aliens because that's what obviously what the movie's about but how we communicate with each other you know the human race how we can all come together in a moment of crisis where something potentially can affect us all we can set aside our bullshit and our uh problems for survival i love that i feel Beautiful like i want to watch that today now it's a good idea it's a really good idea Nice way to spend a Sunday watching mm-hmm. Arrival. Oh, yeah. All right, so head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com. Cast your vote there. Also, too, 
if you uh, head on over to the polls page, you will also see that we have our 2015 polls currently up. So for our Patreon podcast reviews from now up until Oscar season kicks back up again, we are going to be doing retrospective reviews from 2015 of Best Picture nominated films and films that were nominated for Oscars other than Best Picture. And we're going to culminate that with MVP Film Awards voted on by the staff and by the film community right before the Oscar season kicks in. So head on over to the polls page. That's going to be up until the end of March to choose which 2015 films we will be visiting. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, you you, you go cry at Midnight Special again, okay? That's what you're good for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I I don't don't buy that. That's just how (laughs) it works. And now I want to move over to talk about Mr. Steven Spielberg. Because last week... On the show, we had an entire debate about Steven Spielberg and Netflix and the Oscars, and it was a very good discussion. Regardless of the news that has now recently dropped, it was a really good discussion, mm-hmm. and I'm happy that we had it, and I actually don't have any ill will towards any of it whatsoever. I thought it was a very... Um, purposeful discussion that you know we have to have at some point if we're not going to have it then we were going to have it at some point so our thoughts on that can be heard on last week's show but the big news that dropped this week is jeffrey katzenberg friend of steven spielberg's has confirmed in an interview that he he's claiming that steven spielberg said absolutely nothing in regards to the oscars netflix and this whole big, big, big debate about how Netflix should not be competing for the Oscars, that apparently this is not his intention. He has no, like, <laughs> he has no he has no goal of, like, bringing this over to the Academy Board uh, to present this issue to them. And this was something that got misconstrued and then blown up by the press. And here we are. <laughs> The chaos. I can't. I love it. It's the Friar uh, Festival of Film Twitter is what I've been saying. Hmm. (laughs) You know, because it it really sent this all into a tizzy last week. I mean, there was nothing else that anybody else was talking about other than this issue. my question, though. Why why did nobody from the Spielberg camp (sighs) see all this drama unless he's really offline and release a statement or something well apparently spielberg is really offline he doesn't have any form of social media doesn't have facebook doesn't have anything and apparently whenever he wants to but i think he's so i don't want to say above that but that's really what it is above that that he doesn't need like the nonsense that's floating around on our level to really change anything about his persona or reputation so it's like, why even bother dealing with it if it's, you know, not going to make an impact in the long run? Yeah, I mean, for I, better or for worse, Woody Allen's kind of the same way. 
Well, no, but Spielberg's PR team should have known better. And especially with all the, like, the real hate he was getting for the past week, you would have thought that there would have been some statement or something. Well, let me ask you this question. Instead of there being a statement, what if this is the statement? What if, instead of releasing a PR statement directly, what if they are putting out this idea that, oh, no, he never said that to begin with, and they're putting it out there from another source who's close to Spielberg to make us believe that this is not the case? I- I'm just saying, like... You're saying it's all smoke and mirrors, that he really does believe it? It's what if? Cards. What if? It's a little too complex for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... Uh... That I'm not one for conspiracy theories. <laughs> I mean, well, let me ask you this question. Why did it take so long then for Katzenberg to come forward and save us? Because it's not him. It's not his responsibility. You know, he's just uh, a colleague of Spielberg's through DreamWorks and stuff. He's not part of his camp necessarily. Well, and that was my question. Like, did he just come out and say it or was he? It wasn't like an interview. Some... It seems yeah, like it I couldn't even find the source. I just saw yeah. a, a screenshot of <laughs> an article from Tapley. Yeah, so like if it, that's why because he was having an interview and the person asked him about you know what's your thoughts on Spielberg, um, it the whole thing is very strange and if he really doesn't and it was something taken wildly out of context by some reporter somewhere, um, then I kind of hope that reporter gets fired because they're clearly not very good at their job. And you know it's interesting because. You could draw parallels and see how this debate did come up because it's it's known, this is fact, that Steven Spielberg was a huge fan of Green Book. And a vote for Green uh-huh. Book within the Academy must have also have meant a vote against Netflix. And Spielberg has made his thoughts on Netflix known before. The piece of information that got blown up was that he was planning to go to the Board of Governors meeting for the Academy in April with a whole proposal to basically say Netflix should not be contending for the Oscars, they should be contending for the Emmys instead. I mean, that's kind of the elementary way of uh, summarizing it, but, you know, that's pretty much what it was. So I wonder if whoever this person was that, you know, put two and two together and maybe just drew this conclusion that this is definitely what was happening, um, I could see why they would come to that conclusion. You know what I mean? And I also, too, am not... 100% 100% fully ready to write this off either yet. I don't know if just because Jeffrey Katzenberg says, oh, Spielberg's one of my close friends, and I can tell you right now, he he doesn't have this intention. He doesn't plan on doing this, so on and so forth. I still don't know if that means that this is actually not a thing. For all we know, maybe it is still happening. And... You know, it'd be like if, I don't know, it, it would just be like if one of you guys got on another uh, podcast somewhere and you said, oh, well, uh, Matt has the intentions of doing this at some point. It's like, you don't know what I plan to do, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I don't know. You know, d- does this mean the story is over and nothing's going to happen next month at the uh, Board of Governors meeting as it pertains to Spielberg and the Oscars? I don't know. I think we won't know until that happens. Yeah, and like I said, that doesn't mean that the last uh, news cycle, uh, weekly news cycle, is all for naught either. Once again, I think that there was a really, really healthy discussion and debate that came out of this. Uh, The one thing, though, that did come out of it that I actually want to just comment on, I know we commented it on last week, though, is all of this negative uh, talk that Steven Spielberg, the person, received 
from a large contingent of film Twitter and some of the trades as well. And I thought that was uncalled for then. I think it's uncalled for now, especially. And regardless of what you think of Spielberg's films, if you think the guy is an out-of-touch, angry old man or something like that, that does not negate what he has given to the industry over the last several decades. (laughs) And people are always really excited to get a chance to say, well, I don't even like Spielberg. You ruin movies. It's It's like, so the second that there's something that kind of supports that in the news, people are just the first, so excited to do that. And it's like very tired. It's like, (laughs) wow, cool. You're so different. (laughs) I know like there's, you know, there's worthy criticism of his movies to be had, but come on. Okay. So Moving on now from that discussion, we have one more trailer to discuss here on the podcast, and that is Ari Aster's follow-up to Hereditary being released once again by A24. This is the trailer for Midsommar. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one, everyone. Christian says that you've got some special thing planned. Yeah, it's like a crazy nine-day festival. It only happens every 90 years. is giving me everything I want. So Ari Aster really hates <laughs> map sounds, huh? Because Hereditary, <laughs> the soundtrack of the Hereditary trailer was mouth clicks, and in this one it's yeah. really deep breaths. <laughs> he hates mouths. I was very, very impressed that this movie had a completely different visual style than Hereditary. Oh, yeah. And it looked just as beautiful. God, that's Hereditary is mostly indoors and dark. This was nothing but it looked like they shot it inside the sun. It was yeah, incredible. It's gorgeous. And how about that decision to use the white bars instead of black bars on the top and bottom of the screen? I hope that's something that's used in the movie. That. I did notice that. Yeah. Did anybody see this trailer play in theaters at all, or did everyone just see it online? No, I just saw it online. Oh, okay. I was wondering if they actually played it before Climax. That's what I was mostly curious about. Um, Because, you know, both A24 films, both psychologically disturbing. But (laughs) I would love to be able to see in a theater if those white bars, uh, you know, were part of the theatrical showing of the trailer, you know? Because, like I said, I I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, The white bars? Yeah. I... I feel like I've definitely seen that before. I can't remember what movie off the top of my head, but I know I've seen it before. Well, if somebody out there knows, uh, definitely let us know for sure, because I would love to have that reference. Because for me, I was completely smacked alongside the head by this and was just like, wow, that's a very, that's, that's a look. (laughs) (laughs) 
And once again, the cinematography just of the film itself, regardless of which bars uh, they you know you have in the trailer, um, the shots just look absolutely stunning. And once again, really establishes that Ari Aster, from a visual standpoint, is no joke. And Hereditary was probably not a fluke, and he has more to give us that's obviously still within the horror wheelhouse, but it's going to be uh, something that's wildly different. Like you said, Cody, outdoors, um, high-key lighting, looks like a more ensemble type of film, from what I can tell. Florence Pugh is the lead, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm loving this casting. Like Will Poulter was yeah. so good in Detroit and totally underrated, I thought. And I love Jack Rayner. Sing Street is also one of my favorite movies ever. Yes. He made that movie. So God, I, I love him. Yeah. I, I can't wait. This looks like a lot of fun. Now I saw uh, sorry. I, now I saw a tweet from somebody who mm. said that they interviewed Ari Aster, and he said something to uh, to the effect of, "It's not a horror movie, but they're going to market it as such." And I don't know if that's just you know a director mm. trying to reclassify their own movie, and it will actually be scary, but he'll say it's something else, or if they really are going to kind of lead us straight with the marketing. But I'm curious to see what the finished product is. That's interesting because that's like saying Hereditary is not a horror film. It's a family drama. Right, which I mean people will say that because people are so scared of calling things horror movies for some reason, but whatever. It's true, and particularly the A24 movies, I think there's an issue with that. Um, But this is giving me like the original Wicker Man vibes, and that movie is not exactly a horror movie until the end. It's more a musical. Yeah, exactly. So I, I can't. I'm not. I'm not mad at Ari Aster for saying that yet. We'll see. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, do we know official pronunciation of this title? Midsummer. I believe it's Midsummer. It's not Midsummer. I have some Swedish relatives I can ask. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, well, I definitely look forward to this one. Uh, what's the release date on it again? I, I completely forgot. It is August. August. Oh. August night. 2019. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting because August is a little bit closer to award season than uh, the June release of Hereditary. So if, I, you know, granted, I, if it is indeed a true horror film, which it definitely looks like it is, I still kind of give it the, you know, <laughs> eh, let's like take a step back here because we all know the Academy doesn't fully embrace horror as no. they should. Uh, hell, Suspiria couldn't even get a makeup nomination last year for some reason. Please don't remind me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But regardless, I want to be cautiously optimistic about this. Uh, for right now, I'm not even thinking about this film in terms of awards potential so much. Um, it's worth bringing up because Hereditary was on the cusp of that last year with a Best Actress nomination for Tony Collette. And A24, despite sitting out last year in terms of campaigning, we don't know what they intend to do this year. So we'll have to wait and see what their approach is with a lot of their releases, including uh, something like The Farewell from Lulu Wang starring Aquafina, you know, and a couple of other films that they have coming out this year. So I don't want to necessarily pass judgment on this film from an awards standpoint. Right now, I'm just looking at it through a lens of, okay, Ari Aster is a very exciting new filmmaker. Let's see what he has to give us next. Yeah, as somebody who loves horror movies, obviously, I never go into a horror movie talking Oscars. And if it happens, I'm just a happy boy. 
but but Cody yeah. Get Out was nominated for Best Picture. That 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 crashed a ceiling, and you know, oh, every horror uh, yeah, film now needs know, to be considered. Well, almost twenty years since the last horror movie nomination, but of course, yeah. new precedent. Because I, I, that's all I felt like I heard last year with Hereditary. Oh, because Get Out got nominated, don't you think? I'm like, no, I don't think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Apples and oranges. Apples and oranges. And it always, I have to, I have to just get in my soapbox for a second. I think I said this in another episode, but the horror genre is one of the ones that pushes tech to new heights consistently. And it always bugs me that they can't get into, I I mean, sure, like stay out of the picture categories and the acting categories, but sound, makeup, editing, score, these are all things that are iconic in the horror genre and the Academy always turns their nose up at it. That's all I have to say. Well, it's funny you actually bring that up, Cody, because talking with Josh Williams uh, from South by Southwest, he does believe that those kinds of nominations are what awaits Jordan Peele's Us. Maybe not Best Picture, Best Director, Screenplay like last time, but those technical elements that you brought up there. uh, It seems like Us could be our Q1 film from this year, much like Black Panther, Get Out, um, and a few others from the past that might actually make it to the end of the year in terms of the award season discussion in a few areas. I'd be delighted, but I'm, again, always skeptical. Okay. Well, uh, with that said, I don't have anything else uh, for this week. Anybody else have anything they want to bring up? Captain Marvel just crushed the box office. Oh, my God. Yeah. It did uh, right now. The estimates domestic right now are $153 domestically. And global is coming in, but it looks like it's doing, like, breaking records, apparently. Wow. What I'm interested to knowing is what the per screen average is though because like it is playing on nearly every screen in like a lot of theaters like it it i i really kind of like you know it it's annoying in some ways because there are so many great movies out there and yet this one movie is sticking up over 50 percent of the screens even in new york it looks like Uh, oh here we go it was 153 million domestic and 302 million internationally, making for 455 million just this weekend. Wow. Wow. It's crazy. And I want to say just ignore all the haters out there because the same type of people who said The Last Jedi was a flop, even though, you know, it's one of the top 10 gross movies of all time, I believe, yeah. are going to say this is a disappointment for Marvel. So everybody out there, just ignore them. There's no. Oh, yeah, it's already started. started. Yeah. And it's yeah. because, like, personally speaking, I'm not all that interested in a Marvel movie just because of what it's about. But it's like at the same time, I'm rooting for it to do well for all that it represents. Yeah. Right. And it looks like it yeah. did. So, hooray. <laughs> I know. Everyone just needs to remember out there that most of the movies we see are usually, you know, five to sevens. And very, like, very rarely do we see nine and tens, but it just feels like we are in this world where everything is so black and white and it makes me crazy. Oh, I hate the if you didn't like it, then you must have hated it. Yes, and I must hate women. Yeah, we talked about this on the podcast review that just because I have problems with Captain Marvel does not make me a misogynist, you know? I'm allowed to have an opinion on a movie as a movie, as a piece of filmmaking. I can recognize that it's trying to say something on a grander scale and what that importance means to so many people out there and for the industry as a whole. And I am allowed to support that and still say the film has issues, (laughs) you know, like the two are allowed to go together. (laughs) 
you know? Like I said on the podcast, the things that work best about it are the things that make it special, are the things that you could only do with a female character. And I think Wonder Woman was the same way. Wonder Woman had all kinds of story problems. But, like, what made it transcend was, you know, the themes. So Mm -hmm. The direction, yep. The direction, yes. Remember back when Hacksaw Ridge opened and everyone was like, oh, if you're going to go see it, buy a ticket for, like, Arrival and sneak in so you don't have to support the Mel Gibson movie. For me, it's going to be like, well, I don't really want to see Captain Marvel, but maybe I'll go see something else and buy a ticket for Captain Marvel and just support it and say I supported it without having to see the Marvel movie. That sounds like, that, that sounds like a Michael thing. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't be able to get a seat if you want to sneak into Captain Marvel. It's true. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, we look forward with great anticipation to Avengers Endgame, especially coming up in a few weeks' time. Um, somebody pointed out to me, actually, that that uh, movie is released in the same weekend as a very important episode of Game of Thrones, and it's going to like set a record for most fictional character deaths in a single weekend. So... <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to that uh, from a morbid standpoint. But yeah, Captain Marvel, how she's going to fit into Avengers Endgame is definitely going to be uh, one of the more interesting elements of that movie. And it's something that's coming up very soon. Uh, us even That'd sooner. Be funny. It'll be like Black Panther where they're both playing at the same time. I'm sure Captain Marvel is still going to be in theaters next month. When oh, yeah. Game opens. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Black Panther was still in theaters. When oh, yeah, I saw that like two weeks before Avengers. Yeah. I wonder if I check right now, I wonder if Black Panther is still playing in theaters somewhere. No, it, it officially closed in like, I August, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. that's, that's still crazy. Like From February days. all the way until August, that's wild Yeah. that a movie can last that long in theaters. That does not happen nowadays. Well, let me tell you, Matt, remember The Greatest Showman? Remember that movie? Yeah, I that do. Until like August, also. Yeah, it was. Like, yeah, yeah, it was like eight or nine For months. Some reason like, I don't understand. Yep, it had legs. <laughs> well, in any event, uh, <laughs> let's put a cap on this week, episode one thirty three. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz ninety five. Deanne? at tweedledd thirty three. Cody, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at codymonster ninety one, and check out my horror movie podcast at Halloweeners Pod. We learned that Cody does not like joy today. Well, that's <laughs> hate joy, love it. Both the movie and in life. Yeah. <laughs> also true. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 133 of the Next Best Picture podcast here. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, and also on CastBox and Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Write us a comment. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you think is working. Um, if you're going to tell us what you think is not working, maybe still rate us five stars anyway. And if you're feeling supportive, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us, including, like we were saying before, starting in April 2015, retrospective, going all the way up until the 2019 Oscar season. Thank you so much once again for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. <laughs>